This past October, I um, spent a weekend in Las Vegas with some friends of mine. Uh, I'd never been to Vegas before, and if your thought of what Vegas would be like for me is anything like that, it is not. I saw the city very briefly, but what I really went for was this kind of a view that you get on the outskirts of Vegas and the, um, the Red Canyon and, and the Red Hills and all that. It, it was just absolutely, absolutely beautiful. Uh, we spent a lot of time hiking. We spent a lot of time walking around and exploring, and it was a wonderful time. And I remember the day I left for Vegas. I was driving to Indianapolis to the airport, and I was praying. And I remember one very specific prayer request that morning as I drove. My, my friends that I travel with, they're wonderful people. They are good friends. They are supportive. They are kind. They are not believers. And so my prayer request that morning was, God, in, in this weekend, in this time with my friends, give me just one opportunity to share my faith. Just, just one chance to share my faith, to witness. And I want to be honest with you, I immediately forgot that prayer request. I forgot all about it. And it was the furthest thing from my mind. My friends are wonderful people. They are encouraging. They are supportive. They are caring. They have blessed me in ways that they can't even begin to understand. They are fun. And, and for some reason, my friends think that I am fun also. And in my relationship with them, I don't view them as broken. And I don't view them as incomplete. I don't see my relationship with them as this covert mission to convert them. There seems to be this rule for a lot of Christians, a lot of believers, that once you become a Christian, your life is here now. Your life is just to be in the church. Your life is to be among other Christians. From the moment you give yourself to Jesus, every relationship that you have, every friendship is to be right here. And like many of the ideas we've looked at over this series, I think it begins with the best of intentions. You don't want someone leading you astray, do you? You don't want someone encouraging you in old habits that you are trying to give up. But this notion of have nothing to do with non-believers, does it sound like Jesus? Does it sound like our mission? We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 today, verses 9 through 13. If you want to use those Bibles that we've got there for you, it is page 900 and 54. We provide those because we think it's important that we all follow along, that we understand that we're going to the Word of God. So page 954 is where you'll find 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me give you a little background on this passage. Um, something perverse was happening in the church in Corinth. Something evil was happening there. And the people in the church were proud of it because they saw their acceptance of a very horrible sin. They saw their acceptance of this sin as a sign that they understood the grace of God and they understood God's forgiveness. They were bragging about it, apparently. 
And so Paul spends some time clarifying relationships inside the church and outside the church. And he does a very good job of clarifying it, of course, but for some reason we still manage to get his instructions confused. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or and swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Many years ago, I read a statistic, and I I don't believe it's really changed. The statistic says that for the average American Christian, within five years of conversion, within five years of becoming a, a Christian, every major relationship that we have is found within the church. Within five years of conversion, for the average American Christian, every close relationship we have is within the church. And it's not because we've converted all of our non-Christian friends. Rather, we become so wrapped up in church activities that we have no time for those who are outside. That bothers me. That doesn't sound like our mission. And it, it doesn't sound like Jesus. It bothers me because there are people out there who need you. They need They need your friendship. The big problem with this text is it isn't addressing outsiders. And Paul says that right at the very beginning. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And he immediately clarifies in verse 10, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. He's talking about people who call themselves believers, but by their lifestyles, by their choices, by their failings, they betray the holiness to which they have been called. And Paul is very clear about these people. He says, do not associate with them. They are not to be part of your crowd. So what about people in the world? What about your non-Christian friends? Should you have nothing to do with them because they're committing the same sins, because they have the same failings? Should you also have nothing to do with them? Paul's words, those words, do not associate, they're not directed towards unbelievers, those outside the church. In fact, Paul emphasizes with, with the absurd, he says, if, if we were talking about those outside, you would have to leave the world. If we were talking about those who are uh, uh, part of the, not part of the church, you would have to leave the world. You'd have to get off the planet. He emphasizes that's not what he's talking about. We hear that word associate, do not associate, and it sounds kind of formal. Well, Steve over here, he's, he's my associate. You know, it sounds like a very formal word. It's not a formal word. It's actually a, a very intimate word. It means these people are my crowd. These are my friends. These are the people that I am known to be with. These are people I am mixed up with, the word means. And part of the understanding of the, of the word associate here is 
the people you associate with, it may, they make an impression on other people. Other people define who you are by the crowd that you hang out with. That's what that word tells us. Other people define your relationships. They see you in a crowd and they say, well, he's, he's one of these people. And so Paul warns them in verse 11, but now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. But there is no such warning about relationships outside the church. Do you remember this guy? We, um, we talk about him a lot. Uh, Jesus. Do you remember him? Remember Jesus? Do you remember what they said about him? Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Other people defined Jesus by his relationship with those who were outside. But what about his relationships with those who were inside? i got to think that among the religious people of the day, there were probably a few drunkards. I've got to think there were probably more than a couple of gluttons and sinners among the religious people. Did Jesus, was Jesus associated with them? No. He wasn't recognized as, as one of them. Why not? What was different about Jesus' relationship with those on the outside and and what does that say about our relationship with people who are on the outside, people who aren't Christians? I think what it tells us is those on the outside, they need our acceptance. This, this does come with a word of caution, just a word of clarification. It, it calls for wisdom. Not all friendships are healthy. You guys understand that, right? Not all of our friendships are healthy friendships. Acceptance has to flow both ways. When acceptance flows both ways, we call that respect. And so people need to respect who you are. They need to respect your beliefs. They need to respect your choices. So do your friends accept you? Do they have that kind of respect for you? You don't have to agree with everyone on everything in order to have a good time with them. You understand that too, right? You don't have to agree on everything in order to have a good time with people. There are people in this world who will not vote like you who do not have the same ideologies as you, who do not have the same beliefs as you, who don't want to go to church with you, they'd still like to share a meal with you. They'd still like to sit down and talk with you. The difference in this text, though, is while relationships on the outside call for wisdoms, re wisdom, relationships inside the church call for decisive action. He says, do not associate with them. Do not even eat with them. Let me make a little side point here. I haven't been in trouble for a while, so let's see if this works. Paul uses this word sexual immorality. The Greek word is porneo. It's where we get pornography from. Sexual immorality... It's a wide word. It, 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 it's a catch-all word. It pretty much anything that you can do that might be considered deviant sexual behavior, is, it falls into that. So we're talking about adultery. We're talking about 
fornication. We're talking about an addiction to pornography. We're talking about a, a wide variety of things. We tend to have strong opinions on those things, don't we? And we tend to be very outspoken about those things. And we tend to be very judgmental and condemning about those things. But look at Paul's list in verse 11. Look at the list that he gives us in verse 11. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, anyone who calls themselves a Christian, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. Do I need to define greed? You guys understand greed? Okay, you understand what that is? Okay. Uh, greed. Or is an idolater. That is someone who puts something else, anything else above God. Someone whose life is not about worshiping God, but worshiping things instead. A reviler. Uh, a reviler is someone who is going to say bad things about you. Someone who's going to try to ruin your reputation. Someone who's going to insult you in front of other people. A drunkard. I don't think I need to define drunkard. A swindler. Someone who's going to take what you have by violence. It's a horrible... And people who call themselves brothers. Not even to eat with such a one. Here's what bothers me. When it comes to sexual immorality, we can be very strong and we can say, this is wrong. That is absolutely wrong. And we can be very decisive and say, this is wrong. And then we come to a word like greed and we say, well, that's just how Bill is. (laughs) You know, he's kind of tight. He squeaks when he walks. He likes his stuff. You know what I'm saying? Is it just me? Do we do that? You know, we say this is wrong, but then we've got a reviler over here, and we say, well, that's just Aunt Maud. She likes to talk. <laughs> she always has. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with us saying what this person over here is doing is a sin and is wrong and is an abomination and this person over here who tends to be a little loose-lipped about other people, that's just the way she is. She was born that way, we might say. I think when we do that, I think that's called hypocrisy. You think that's a good word for that, hypocrisy? More so than just saying it's hypocrisy, it does not escape the notice of our non-Christian friends. They see that. And... The reality is, maybe the reason reason you don't associate with non-Christians isn't because you've abandoned them, but maybe because they've abandoned you. Maybe they've left us instead because they felt like they were being judged. The truth is, in many occasions, maybe they were being judged by us. And again, Paul could not be clearer here. He says in verse 12, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Your friends don't need your judgment. They don't need your judgment. They don't need you judging them. They need your friendship. They need your acceptance. I'm not saying you accept their sin. I'm saying you accept them. I'm saying you treat them as though they are valuable because you know what? They are valuable. Jesus Christ died for them just like he died for you. There is no difference in what Jesus Christ feels for that person as opposed to what he has done for you. 
And I think when they know our acceptance, then we can also see that they need to know our story. They need to know your story. Your job is not to judge those who are outside the church. So what is your job? What is it that you're supposed to do? If you're not supposed to judge those who are outside the church, what is your job? I want you to jump ahead exactly one letter, exactly one book of the Bible. Again, if you're using those Bibles in the pew, you're going to be on page 966. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, written to the same crowd just a little while later. What is your job? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Paul reminds the Corinthians, he reminds us, for we must all, we Christians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You understand that, right? Give me a nod. Let me know you're here. Let me know you didn't eat too much over the weekend. You're awake, right? You're with me? Okay. We understand that. If you're a Christian, you signed up for that. Okay? You signed up not only for grace, not only for mercy, not only for the love of God, but you signed up for the fact that one day you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? You signed up for it. It was in the small print down at the bottom, but it was there. Your friends don't, your non-Christian friends don't get that. They don't understand judgment. They don't understand why you're all worked up about stuff. So since you know that that's going to happen, what do you do? Look at the very next verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing that judgment is coming, we persuade others. We persuade others. We persuade them with what? We persuade them with hellfire and brimstone? Do we persuade them with turn or burn? What you're doing is wrong. No. Read on down to verse 14. Oh, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, your job is not to judge. Your job is to be an ambassador. Your job is to tell the story of Jesus, the story of reconciliation. On down to verse 19. That is, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How can you do that job if you don't have any non-Christian friends? How can you do that job if every relationship that you have is found within the church? Who are you going to convince that Jesus loves them if they already feel judged by you? So I went to Vegas with my friends. And we spent the first day there driving around, hiking, playing in the hills, seeing a lot of country like that. It's just, it's absolutely beautiful. I wouldn't want to live there, (laughs) but it's pretty. 
And it got to be about noon or 1 o'clock, and we were getting hungry. And we ended up in a town called Pahrump. Has anyone ever been to Pahrump? Oh, I am so sorry. There's, there's nothing there. But we found the Pahrump Valley Winery. It was a restaurant there. And so we, we went there. It was the only place that looked any good to eat. So we, and it was, it was really nice. So we walk into the Pahrump Valley Winery. And they, it's one of those wine-tasting places. I, I don't know anything about wine-tasting. I don't get it. I just stood there and said, I think something's wrong with your Kool-Aid. I, I don't understand. So we're standing there. I'm trying to pretend I know what I'm doing. I'm looking at the collar and swirling. And this big black limo pulls up out front. And the door is open. And out of the limo, five or six young women come out of the limo. I'm not going to say young ladies because the word ladies implies certain things of respect to me. Five or six young women come out and they were loud. They were obnoxious. They were dressed in ways that I would never let my daughters leave the house. They wanted their wine and they wanted it now. So they they came in and they were and, and along with them was was an older gentleman, an older man was with them, and he was apparently paying for everything. I don't know what that included, but he was paying for everything. So we, we get done with the wine tasting thing, and they seat us back on the porch uh, behind the, uh, the winery, and that's where we're going to have our lunch. And so we sit down. The lunch was amazing. The food is so good. It was just absolutely wonderful. Guess who got seated right next to us? I am embarrassed to think of the things that were discussed at that table. It was loud. It was obnoxious. They said things that would make a sailor turn red. (laughs) You know, they were horrible. They treated their waiter awfully. They were making fun of him. No topic was too bawdy for dinner table discussion over there. It got so bad that our waitress came over and gave us free desserts. (laughs) I guess that was nice. And the whole time I'm looking at my friends and they're looking at me because they think Brett doesn't like this. (laughs) And they didn't like it much themselves. We were embarrassed. We were ashamed at the things that were being said. And and my friends kept looking at me like I'm going to say something, like I'm going to do something. I had no idea what to say or do. There was nothing that I could say that would be ruder than anything that those girls were saying. And then an idea hit me. And in my loudest dinner table conversation voice, I said to my friends, Hey, have I ever told you guys about Jesus? About that loud. And my friend Greg, sitting over here, Greg says, No, Brett, tell us about Jesus. And I said, well, let me tell you about my friend, Jesus. And I told them my story. I didn't quote scriptures to them because that, you know, Roman road's not going to mean anything to them at this moment. I told them my story about how I met Jesus. I told them my story from my birth on up. What was wonderful was some of my friends around the table had heard parts of the story because I'd tell, you know, a little bit here and there. They had heard they started telling my story for me. It was like, oh, don't forget to tell about when your sister prayed for you when you were a baby. 
that you'd be a preacher. Tell them that part. That's a good part. So, so I'm telling my story, and I go all the way up to my conversion at age 16, to my call into ministry, and to the things that we've experienced, to Trish and I having some amazing things, the way God brought us together, and all these incredible things, and our family, our kids, telling them about Gracie, telling them about Connor. And I'm telling this as loudly as I can. And I finally said to my friends, things haven't always been easy. Things have not always been easy, but Jesus has never let me down. Everything's not been perfect, but I have always known His peace. And if you're ever at a point in your life where you need peace, I encourage you to try Jesus out because He will not let you down either. And then they thanked me. (laughs) They thanked me for telling them about Jesus. Something else I said, and I I tell you this to my shame. As we're sitting around the table after I told them my story, I said to my friends, I know you guys don't want to hear about this stuff. Because one of the things that I've been taught is that we have to be sensitive to our friends. We don't want to come off, you know, too strong. We don't want to be too preachy to them. We don't want to get in their face about Jesus. So I said, I'm sorry. I, I know you guys don't want to hear about this. You know what they said to me? What makes you think that? What makes you think we wouldn't want to hear your story? What I forgot in that moment was my friends love me for some weird reason. My friends actually love me and are interested in me, and they want to know my story. They want to know what's important to me. We paid our bill. Desserts were free, and management apologized again (laughs) as we were on our way out. I stepped out the front door, and I see the big black limo sitting right there. I look in the limo, and there's the driver. The limo driver was a woman, and, and she was sitting there in her little uniform, and I could see in the front seat she was on her cell phone, and she was like this, and she was not happy about what she was having to do. I smiled and waved at her. I don't want to get weird on you. It might be too late. In that moment, it felt like there was a hand on my shoulder. And yet, just the the nicest little touch. Just a little touch. And suddenly, it it was like there was a sound in my ear, like a voice. And I could swore I heard someone say, Hey, Brett, do you remember your prayer on the way to the airport? (laughs) I'd forgotten all about it. I started laughing. I waved at the driver and we took off. All I could do was laugh. God had used me. God had used those girls too, which I think is amazing. If he can use the Philistines, he can use anybody. He had used us to his glory. He had used us to tell his story. One of my favorite passages is Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Make the, most, make the best use of the time. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know who you are an ambassador for. You're an ambassador for Christ. But do you know where you are an ambassador? Do you know where you fulfill 
that role. It's wherever you are. You're an ambassador in your home. You're an ambassador with your neighbor. You're an ambassador on your job. Hey, and if you're retired, you're an ambassador in your retirement. (laughs) You're an ambassador when you're down at the junction talking to your friends. You're an ambassador up at the elevator. You're an ambassador in the Lions Club. If you're in the lodge, you're an ambassador in the lodge. Wherever you are, people want to hear your story. They want to know you because they love you, because they respect you, because they like you. Learn to tell your story, and the most amazing part is people will tell it for you. (laughs) Your friends will learn your story, and they will tell your story for you. And if they know that your faith, if they know that your faith is important to you, sooner or later they're going to start wondering, why doesn't she invite me to her church? If they know that your faith is important to you, sooner or later they're going to start wondering, why doesn't she invite me to, to her church? Does she not think I'm good enough? Is she, is she judging me? Does she think that her church is, is better? than me, that I don't need that. And, and I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying that everybody's going to accept that, but they need to hear those words. Come and see. What if we vowed, what if we made a promise to ourselves and to God that we would never have a special event here, whether it's a concert or whether it's a meal, whether it's, you know, whatever, a, you know, kind of a ladies' fellowship thing. We would never have a special event here without inviting friends to join us. What if we made that vow? Not that they're always going to say yes, but that we said, just come and see. Come and see what we're doing. They need to hear you say that. They need to know that you care enough to ask them just to come and see. Jesus makes this deal with us. He says, if you'll confess my name before men, I will confess your name before the Father in heaven. Puts a lot of pressure on us, but trust me, we get the good end of the bargain, okay? <laughs> we get the good end of the deal. You confess my name before people, and I will confess your name before the Father. It seems difficult, but it is as simple as simply saying, come and see. Come and see what's different. Let me show you what's important to me. Let me show you why I do this every Sunday morning. Your friends love you. And they want to hear you say that. Let's sing it together. Let's stand together and sing.